And let's open with a word of prayer. Father, what assurance it is this evening to know that we are standing on the promises. We're standing on the promises of a faithful God. And a God who, who loves us. A God who in grace has reached out to us. And a God who will fulfill all that he has promised. And even as we sing these truths, may they sink deep in us. May they be an encouragement to us for the week ahead. As we turn our attention to Psalm 13 this evening, may you work in us, may you challenge us, may you accomplish your purposes in us. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say, I have prevailed against him. Let those who trouble me rejoice when I am moved. But I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. As we come to Psalm 13 this evening, we don't necessarily know the circumstances in David's life that led him to, to write this psalm. This psalm. We don't know what he's dealing with. We don't know what it is that is uh, this darkness that is surrounding him. But what we do know as we work our way through this psalm is how he feels. We know what he sees. And we know at the end that he chooses to trust in what he knows to be true. And as you work your way through this psalm, that's kind of the progression. You can even see it in David's words as the psalm progresses. How he feels, what he sees, and then what he knows to be true. Psalm 13 is an individual lament. It is David speaking for himself. He's not speaking for the nation at this point. He's speaking for himself. This is his struggle. Something that he is going through. You can see that struggle in the first two verses of, chapter, uh, of Psalm 13 in verses 1 and 2. Notice how many times he says, How long in here? How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Four times in the first two verses, he starts with the phrase, the question, how long? This is not a question for which David is necessarily looking for an answer. Rather, it's a statement. It's a declaration meant to get God's attention. How long, Lord? can almost notice the brashness of this, the desperate nature within David when he starts out, How long, O Lord? It's just a general question, but then he narrows in the next question. Will you forget me forever? What a statement to make to an omniscient God. How long will you forget me? It's a bold prayer to pray. God, who, who's omniscient, who's in control. Have you forgotten me? 
Not only that, but he takes it a step further. Not, not just a lapse in, in memory, but have you forgotten me forever? He moves on to the next statement. He kind of tempers it a bit. How long will you hide your face from me? It moves from, from forgotten me, from moved on from me, from, from left me forever to hide your face from me. You've merely turned away. You're hiding. David is clearly torn on the inside. He is struggling with something. As we look at this, it seems almost that it may be sin that is within him. Maybe it's sin that has gripped him. Sin that has taken control that has come between David and God. I think there's a a hint to it here in the second part of verse 1. How long will you hide your face from me? He knows that there's something that God has, has hid his face, has turned away. That kind of language is used in the past for, for when there's sin. It separates the person from God, something that comes between. Another little clue is in verse 5, later on in the psalm, it gets down and it says, But I have trusted in your mercy or loving kindness. I think there's a reason why David holds on to that specific attribute of God. And it could very well be that in this moment, he knows there's sin in his life. He needs the mercy of God. Whatever it is, though, David feels abandoned. God seems distant. David feels forgotten by God. This is a deep struggle. He's come to his wit's end. There's nothing else that he can do. How long, in the next verse, how long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? I think think that's a phrase that many of us can identify with. How long will I take counsel in my soul? How many of us, before, before turning to God in prayer, have wrestled all night long with something in our hearts, in our souls? How many of us have just worked something over and over and over again, approaching it from all these different sides? Taking counsel in our own souls rather than running to God. We allow this to just continue to to work over inside of us and, and we come to the same conclusion that David does here, having sorrow in my heart daily. This isn't fixing the problem, worrying about it, working this over, isn't doing anything. I'm just having more sorrow. So how long will you forgive me? How long will you hide from me? How long will I take counsel in my soul? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? On top of everything else, this, this struggle going on in David as he's working through this in his own heart, as he's wrestling through it, as he feels like God has abandoned him. And then he, he comes to this final thing, and my enemy is exalted over me. That is just salt in the wound. I am down. I am struggling here, and and my enemy, look at him, he's being exalted. If, and this is an if, this is my opinion, I think it is sin that David is struggling with, but if that is true, just think about the, the process in David's mind. I'm trying to do what's right. I, I slipped up. I sinned. But I'm trying to do what's right. And look what's happened to me. He's not even trying and he's flourishing. How long will they be exalted over me? He's come to the end of his rope. 
And he's expressing here how he feels. But then you get to verses 3 and 4, and now you see what he sees. It starts in verse 3 with what he wants to see, and then verse 4, what he does see. Verse 3 starts, Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Even in the first phrase of verse 3, you can already see a change going on in David and his language here. And how often is that true of us? I don't know about you, but oftentimes when I will sit down to pray for something, even if I don't get an, I often don't get an answer right away. But when you sit down to pray, simply going to God and working through it changes your perspective on it. Something that, that is bothering you as you work through it and you think about God's sovereignty and the fact that God is good and that God is at work. By the time you get to the end of that prayer, your, your worries have changed. Things have, something's happening. Your, your perspective is starting to change. I think you see that here with David. In verses 1 to 2, he feels abandoned. But in verse 3, it starts to change a little bit. Consider and hear me. Notice this last phrase, O Lord, my God. Even in the depths of this despair, he's not lost hope. He's not lost faith in God. I feel as if God has turned away from me. I feel as if he's abandoned me. He's forgotten me. But he's still my Lord. He's still my God. Consider me. Hear me. Enlighten my eyes. Let me see you breaking through. This darkness that has, that has encompassed me, whatever the struggle is, I want to see you, Lord, break through it. Lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest this darkness take control, take over. Verses 3 and 4, we see the desperate cries of a man in a desperate situation. Lest I sleep the sleep of death. I don't want to die in this state. Don't leave me here, God. Come, consider, hear me, enlighten my eyes. That's what he wants to see. That's what he's praying for. In verse 4 then, this is what he does see. Lest my enemy say, I have prevailed against him. Lest those who trouble me rejoice when I am moved. I want to see you coming. I want to see you break through. I want to know that you hear me. But right now, I feel that my enemy is prevailing against me. Right now, I, I, I can just hear it as they trouble, as they rejoice when I am moved. David's enemy, who is exalted over him, prevailed against him. But notice what this enemy is rejoicing in. He's rejoicing when I am moved. He's not necessarily rejoicing at his own victory, at his own accomplishments. He's, he's, he, his attention's on David. He's rejoicing because he has fallen. Oh, how the wicked like love it when the righteous fall. As we come to verse 5, we then... David turns his attention from how he feels and what he sees to what he knows to be true. And I love that first word of verse 5, but, but. My feelings haven't changed. What, what I see, what I think is happening, what I think is going to happen, that hasn't changed. My circumstances and my feelings have not changed, but I've trusted in your mercy. But I have trusted in your mercy. 
It's not about how I feel. It's not about what I see. It's about the fact that you are merciful. You are loving. You are a God of loving kindness. And that is what I will trust in. David here is expressing his full confidence in God. Despite what he sees and despite what he feels, he has confidence in God. I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. Salvation there has the idea of both physical and spiritual. Both the the fact that God will save him from this situation and the fact that God has saved him from his sins. Regardless of, of my circumstances, I can always glory in my salvation. Even if I don't have physical salvation here, I know that I have spiritual salvation for my God is faithful. He's a merciful God. And if nothing else changes, if everything in life is just disappointment after disappointment after disappointment for the rest of my life and it's nothing but pain, I can rejoice in my salvation. And I will rejoice in my salvation. I will sing to the Lord. I will choose to sing. Why? Because He has dealt bountifully with me. He has dealt bountifully with me. I don't see it now, and I don't feel it now, but he has. I've seen it in the past. As you work your way through verses 5 and 6, what he knows to be true, you kind of see three things here. What David chooses to focus on in this instance, he chooses to focus on who God is, his mercy, his loving kindness. He chooses to focus on what God has promised, salvation. And he chooses to focus on what God has done in the past. He has, been, he, has bountifully, he has dealt bountifully with me. And by focusing on these three things, David is able to get up and to move forward, to progress. His confidence for the future is rooted in his experience in the past. I want to read a passage from a book. The book is called Dark Clouds, Deep Mercies by Mark Vrogop. It's a hard name to pronounce. (laughs) Um, He he spoke at the Garb National Conference this year and he did a great job. Um, This is a book that he wrote focusing on the Psalms of lament. What does it mean to lament? Uh, And and he got to that through tragedy in his own life that, that caused him to focus in on those things. But knowing that it was a book on the Psalms of Lament, and knowing that Psalm 13 is a Psalm of Lament, I went to this book to see, what does he say about this Psalm? And I came to this passage that I think does a great job. And it's chapter 4, Psalm 13, Choose to Trust. And I just want to read the first couple paragraphs. All true songs of worship are born in the wilderness of suffering, says musician and author Michael Card. And reflecting on the laments of David, Card suggests that without the rocky terrain of his lonely life, we would not have many of the psalms of David that we cherish. In other words, David's pain created his wonderful laments. I think Card is right. Suffering refines what we trust in and how we talk about it. Pain can bring clarity. Loss affirms trust. Maybe that's why the words of the English poet William Cooper are so full of meaning and depth. Cooper struggled with debilitating bouts of depression, even landing him in an an insane asylum for a time. Most of his life, he wrestled with how to turn his sorrow into trust. 
Aside from composing beloved hymns such as There is a Fountain Filled with Blood and Oh for a Closer Walk with God, Cooper wrote God Moves in a Mysterious Way in 1774. It's believed to be the last hymn he wrote. God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep in unfathomable minds of never-failing skill, he treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break with blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. His purpose will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his works in vain. God is his own interpreter, and he will make it plain. This hymn has been a refuge to me. I appreciate its candid statements about dreaded clouds, judging the Lord with feeble sense in the category of frowning providence. Cooper clearly lived in the real world of human sorrow. But I love this hymn because of Cooper's ability to turn from hardship to the character of God. Fearful clouds are full of mercy. A frowning providence hides a smiling face. Pain can become a platform for worship. Suffering can lead to trust. Lament is the language for this transition. Songs of sorrow are meant to move us from complaint to confidence in God. I love that last sentence. Songs of sorrow are meant to move us from complaint to confidence in God. And that's exactly what we see here in Psalm 13. David moves from complaint to confidence. How? By focusing on what he knows to be true. He asks his questions. He struggles through it. He wrestles. He lets God know how he feels. He, he, he prays for what he wants to happen. And he says what he sees. But then he chooses to trust. So when you're struggling, when you come to a hopeless place like David is here, ask your questions. But then rest in his gracious providence. Know that he's at work. Know that he's accomplishing his purposes. Know that he is a merciful God. And if you can rejoice in nothing else, rejoice in your salvation. Be encouraged with these words from Psalm 13 this evening. I don't know what many of you are struggling with. I don't know what the week ahead, the year ahead holds. I know that God is merciful. I know that you can rejoice in your salvation no matter what. And I know that he has dealt bountifully with us. So let's find our hope in those truths and who God is, not in what we feel, not in what we see, and who God is, like David here in Psalm 13. Even as we turn our attention to prayer this evening for a short time, There's nothing wrong with bringing requests to God. In fact, that's a good thing, to bring your requests to God. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus brings his request to God, but then what does he rest in? Your will be done. Not my will, your will. So let that be our drive as we go to prayer. Let's bring our requests. Let's pray. 
Let's pour out our hearts to God, but let the underlying desire be, your will be done. And if nothing else, I will glory in my salvation.